Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, your go-to source for a quick and informative look into South Carolina athletics, presented by the state newspaper. I am your host, Greg Hadley, and I am joined by our football writer, Ben Briner. And we are here to talk about South Carolina's game this weekend against Kentucky, kicking off at 7.30, televised on the SEC Network. Ben, we say this every week, a very big game for the Gamecocks this week. Yep. Well, Muschamp said they're all must-win at this point, and they all are kind of must-win at this point, except for the ones where they'll be super outclassed, in which case those might not be super must-win, but he'll treat them that way anyway. One thing we said at the beginning of last week when they were about to play Missouri is that this two-week stretch is going to go a long way in defining South Carolina's season, and now we're here one week in. They lost to Missouri. How much pressure does it put on them to at least get a split and beat Kentucky? Well, if they get a split... They've got an easy path to four wins, and maybe not easy is not the right word. They have a logical path to four wins, which would put Appalachian State at getting them to five wins. Five wins, not really something to celebrate, but getting to five wins looks a lot better than four or three wins, potentially. So, at the very least, getting this one would keep them from fully, you know, capsizing, would leave around the vague chance that they could pull off an upset maybe still look at some kind of bowl game. But it also just would help because South Carolina historically expects to beat Kentucky and has not done it five years in a row. And if they don't do it for a six-year in a row, that's just, you know, another black mark. I remember listening to a discussion from a couple of experts that were saying what South Carolina's placed in sort of this sport in this world. And through the entire thing, they said, well, at the very least, you beat Kentucky. Seemingly not aware that that had not happened since the 2013 season. Yeah, and I think, obviously, the players know that. Coach Will Muschamp knows that. He talked a lot about internal pressure versus external pressure, saying that, you know, they know inside this program that that this is a big week. Let's listen to what he said. We have pressure every single week. Every single week, there's a lot of pressure. And you know what? There's more pressure internally than there is externally. I can assure you of that. Do you consider this a must-win game Saturday? They're all must-win games. Every single game. You know what next week's going to be? That's where we're open. The next week's going to be must-win. And we need to kick open's ass, too. So, Ben, what's your reaction to Coach Muschamp saying that? Well, I think it does kind of speak to the fact that as much as fans are not pleased with where things are, the people involved, the principals who actually have some amount of control over it, probably more annoyed. They're the ones working the 14, 15, 16-hour days, not seeing their families trying to win football games. So, you know, it's an interesting and probably a good little piece of perspective to say they understand why people are mad because they are probably more mad. And you mentioned that streak of five straight losses to Kentucky. That's something the Wildcats take a lot of pride in, something that's a big source of embarrassment for South Carolina fans. At a certain point, you know, is six years much worse than five? As long as the streak keeps going, how bad can this get for South Carolina? I mean, it's just going to keep happening until it doesn't. That's a weird way to phrase it, but I mean, unless Kentucky really establishes itself as a top half of the SEC team, SEC East team anyway, long term, South Carolina probably is still going to always see itself as a football school and probably for a long time feel it's in a better spot unless its own program takes sort of a long-term dip. I do think that it's just going to be one of those things that is going to keep really sticking in people's craws until it stops. I mean, this is kind of 
maybe a little silly to ask, but how much do head-to-head matchups kind of play into your perception of programs being ahead or behind each other? I don't know that they do to a great degree unless they're two programs that have long been on equal footing and are pretty close to one another. What Mark Stoops has built is just really impressive. I think that he's turned them into kind of what you'd almost imagine South Carolina would want to be, give or take, with a lower ceiling. They're consistent. They're always pretty decent. This year's team looks a little so-so right now. We'll have to see if they round into enough form to make a bowl. But they, at the very least, have raised the floor at that place, which is not the easiest thing to do. I don't know how it kind of sets the pecking order unless it's two teams that are really close and have sort of a long-running experience, a long-running rivalry of both kind of being solid teams. Of course, we're talking as if South Carolina, you know, obviously has a chance to lose this game, but what do you think are going to be the keys for them to win? Play better? No. uh, They, (laughs) well, they're going to need to get the passing game in order. That's the first thing. They're going to need to be able to throw the ball more accurately than they were in the last game, and their receivers are going to have to get out there, make more plays than they did last game. Because I'm not sure exactly how Kentucky likes to game plan this, but they at least historically have been pretty stout against the run. This year, their defense not looking quite as good statistically. I think that Seth Klein is going to need to get the passing game going, and they're going to need to carry over some from the defensive success last year. Though, frankly, Kentucky this year doesn't seem like that good of of an offensive team. They don't have Benny Snell. Their running game is decent, but maybe not quite as good as it was. They've got a backup quarterback. He's got a shoulder injury. For all we know, we might see Gunnar Hoke when it's all said and done. So this series has kind of led me to expect the unexpected. But I'd say, again, the biggest thing is have the offense play well, especially considering in the last, I want to say, three meetings, South Carolina's offense has been pretty woeful throughout. You mentioned the passing game, and one thing I did want to touch on that Coach Muschamp talked a fair bit about in his Tuesday press conference were RPOs. They called a very high percentage of them against Missouri, and it's kind of at a little bit of an insider football team. Can you really simply break down what an RPO is and why, obviously, a lot of teams are using them nowadays, but why they might be especially important for South Carolina? Well, it's it's called a run-pass option, and a run-pass option play is just really a play where there is an option for a running play or for a passing play. So a passing play might, say, have three options, three things, three players you could throw the ball to. You have to read one, two, three, or you read coverages and you say, this is where we attack. With an RPO, one of those options is simply to hand the ball off. So for example, the simplest RPO would be something like you call a run play inside the box, and then on the perimeter, receivers are running and blocking for a screen. And all the quarterback does is identify the right player to read. And then if that player goes toward the screen, He hands off in the box because the offense should have better blocking numbers. And if that player jumps into the box, there should be better numbers on the outside for that screen pass. Now, they can get more complicated. For example, you could have on the other side, you could have someone running a hitch route. And if they get space, they just throw the hitch. On the interception that Ryan Holinsky threw against Missouri, it was pretty clear the offensive line is run blocking. And he has two receivers running a pattern on the side. And basically, he was, I think, supposed to read an edge defender who was playing more zone defense than uh, the team had expected. Now, a great way to kind of see them and spot them is if you see someone pass and then you look and the offensive line is blocking like it's a run, that's probably an RPO. It's a little trickier to be able to identify it when they hand the ball off because maybe it's an RPO, maybe they just have 
the wide receivers running some kind of decoy, basically. Now, why it's so important to South Carolina is they tried to build their offense around a lot of RPOs. A lot of modern offenses are doing that. It tends to create interesting run-pass balances because defenses still oftentimes think run first. So it basically, defensive coordinators will say, you need to throw the ball more against us. And South Carolina, in accordance with how dedicated they are to RPOs, has been a pretty pass-heavy team across this season and last season. And there's also the small caveat that sometimes when the, the, the handoff is forced, the offense will have good blocking numbers, and people still won't actually make their blocks. It, it changes the math and creates more of an advantageous situation, but it's not like it creates necessarily wide-open running lanes. It just creates better running situations. Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com slash newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode. And of course, with Ryan Holinsky, he was battling a bit of elbow uh, soreness last week, but Coach Muschamp said this Tuesday that he expects him to be completely fine and ready to go. Do you think we'll see him pass as much as we did against, say, Alabama? That's an interesting question because I think a lot of it first depends on what Kentucky wants to do. Are they keeping more players in the box? Does South Carolina try to go a little more spread out and kind of test their outside linebackers? What's sort of the chess game there? Well, Muschamp has been asked several times about needing to run the ball more, and he says they need to do it. So the question is, does that come with more pure called runs? And then if they have more pure called runs into more loaded boxes, what kind of happens there? Kentucky, again, historically, and especially last year, had a really good pass rush. Not totally sure if they've been able to replicate that, especially because they lost really a lot of defensive talent. I will say their defensive line only three guys, but is really enormous. I think Will Muschamp said their tackle is 360 pounds, and each of their ends are 300 pounds. So at the very least, South Carolina will be going up against a lot of size on the ground. And on the other side of the ball, the big news on the defense is junior defensive back Jemias Williams entering the transfer portal after four games. We can get into a lot of, you know, the reasoning why he did that, the NCAA transfer rules, all that, but I want to focus more on the impact for South Carolina's secondary moving forward. I'm not totally sure what kind of impact it's going to have beyond Israel Mukwamu probably playing a little more safety. Frankly, South Carolina has really liked to play mix and match with guys in that back end pretty much through the Will Muschamp tenure, and they've also grown very used to playing with a pretty low number of defensive backs. I want to say by the end of his first year, they had five, maybe six, going through most 2017 when they had probably the best defense of this period, also had only six. Last year, obviously, the injuries kind of made a mess of everything, but they can survive with pretty few defensive backs. Right now, they're down to basically their top five. They had a top six with Jemias. He's gone. So they've got their top five freshman John Dixon, who showed well. And it'll be interesting to see how Cam Smith, a local product and a former four-star, kind of can step in. Will Muschamp said that he's been coming on pretty well. And if he can deliver, they'll probably be in good shape. If A.J. Turner can give them maybe a few snaps, that would help. But realistically, they've got 
five guys plus Dixon. And I think they honestly should be able to kind of hold together in that situation, or at the very least, not get so burned that it's really particularly glaring. And Williams was started three games this year, but was in and out of the starting lineup a little bit. So he, he struggled with some consistency issues as well. He did indeed, and his snaps had kind of been uh, going down as the season went on. He did not play a particularly large number of snaps against Alabama, um, and according to some numbers from Pro Football Focus, he was down to 36 against Missouri, which put him decidedly fit, uh, sixth among defensive backs by uh, nearly 30 overall. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty big chunk out of there. And it seemed like at times he just sort of struggled. He's not the biggest guy. He had some trouble tackling. Um, whenever they could get bigger receivers on him, he was kind of, kind of a problem when it came to fade balls. So I'll be interested to see kind of where he ends up. There's always been a lot of chatter about what if he could play some offense. And I think maybe he could find his way there, or maybe he just goes somewhere else and tries to play defensive back again. Looking big picture at this, how pivotal is this week for not just the season, but Will Muschamp's entire tenure? I mean, going into the bye week at 2-3 and three is a lot different from going in 1-4 and four and having to face Georgia I would say it's unclear because there's still this sort of looming question of, is there any way that his tenure ends after this season? How bad would it have to be? How would South Carolina pay a buyout that's going to be in more than $18 million? I don't know the biggest buyouts that have ever been paid, but that's probably that would probably have be right among the, the highest. So the question is, is there a full mulligan is there a point at which Ray Tanner says enough is enough and a change has to be made? Or is there a point where they say, you have a freshman quarterback, this went wrong, that went wrong, you get one more chance because you're too expensive to fire? It really kind of depends. I think that winning the Kentucky game certainly would help. I don't know if it would be necessarily a fulcrum point. I don't know if losing it would necessarily also be a fulcrum point. But if you lose it, there's a pretty realistic chance of 3 and 9 and if you go 3 and 9 in your fourth year on the job at an SEC job anything is possible. Yeah, I was going to say it seems like if they win it's not a pivotal thing. It's, you know, they they live to fight another day, but a loss could be really huge. Yeah, and that's kind of been the way a lot of this season has gone where all these games probably wouldn't be the biggest deal if they won, but for the fact that they aren't losses. The UNC game was that way. The Missouri game was that way. None of neither of them would have been really highly celebrated, except for the fact that they weren't. They didn't have the fallout that each of those losses has ended up having. All right, that's all the time we have for now. We will be back on Monday to recap the game. And as a reminder, we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday throughout football season. And you can get us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, basically wherever you listen. So please be sure to subscribe. Thanks.